Guys, I said we were at the beginning of the year, our first service, that we were going to invite you on a journey, to journey with us and what God is calling us to actually do. And I think that was the worship today was a prophetic declaration. Do you know, our streets are longing for God's people to be dancing and praising and changing atmospheres in our streets, bringing life to them where there's only drudgery, where there's only sadness. Do you know, mountains will tremble once again at the presence of our Lord as we carry, do you know, that atmosphere as we carry His presence every single where we go. Water is waiting to be walked on once again by God's people. And do you know what? That's the journey that we're on, to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And starting to look at and think through what does it look like rather than looking from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth which I think Bill Johnston was the guy that kind of really perpetrated that. So last week as we began this new series where I shared with you one of the experiences that we had over the festive period, because I've been walking round about the Transport Museum in Glasgow down by the, the River Clyde, and then we went and visited the art galleries. And as we were walking around the exhibits, I was absolutely fascinated because I discovered that this city was the center once of innovation, invention as well as creativity. Merchants, inventors, industrialists, you know, artists, architects, engineers, social and political reformers, medical and educational firsts were all byproducts of the people of this city, of Glasgow. And then I came across the city's coat of arms. And as I started to delve into the, the history of the coat of arms, do you know, I came across the, the motto, let Glasgow flourish. And I discovered that these words were taken, you know, from a prayer which Kettering, or who later became known as St. Mungo, you know, uh, who helped form the, the city, you know, actually they took his words and they used it as our city motto. The prayer was, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of his word, the praising of his name, and it was incorporated into the city's coat of arms in 1866. And as I read about the history of the city, I discovered that our city here in Glasgow thrived when it had at its roots Christianity. But as the preaching of the Word and the praising of the name declined, so did the fortunes of the city. And so I found myself asking this question, what happened? Where did it all go? Why are people in the city not thriving? Why is the city not thriving the way it once was? Sadly, we've also, you know, learned that they've, you know, we've lost ground as churches in the city. Far too many of them are closing down or finding themselves with dwindling congregations. And it was then that I heard the Holy Spirit kind of challenge me, you know, not to look at decline, but to look at the roots of its success. Because remnant roots are basically the seedbed for new growth and restoration. And I started to see the possibilities. I started to get a vision of what could be once again in this city and in this nation. And to help us with this, we're going to take a, a walk through the book of Nehemiah. And today we're going to look at Nehemiah's vision to actually rebuild Jerusalem. And as we do, I want us to consider, do you know, what that vision means to us today spiritually and how we as a church can actually engage with God's Word so that 2024 would be the year to begin restoring. So I want to talk today about a plan, okay? How to make a plan to restore and to rebuild. So if you've got a Bible, could you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2? And you can keep worshiping as we send the collection basket around uh, as well. If you don't, I'll put it up on the screen uh, here. 
I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Last week, we heard about the beginnings of Nehemiah and what he, he did when he heard about the destruction of Jerusalem. He fell face down and wept and prayed and prayed and prayed. And remember, I said to you guys, if you're struggling with prayer, here's an acronym that can actually help you. Can you remember? It was based on the word Acts. And A stood for adoration, okay? And C stood for confession. T stood for thanksgiving. And S stood for supplication. I said, that's a great way to form your prayers before the Lord. This week, we will see how Nehemiah actually moves from prayer to planning. Nehemiah starts with a plan. Some people actually pit, you know, praying against, you know, planning, you know, against one another, as if planning isn't spiritual and that prayer is. Well, folks, that's not true. Just read through the whole Bible and you will see plan after plan after plan. You see King David, you know, envisioning a plan for a temple where God's Spirit would actually dwell amongst the people. You see Moses kind of making, you know, a plan and how he's going to organize the Israelites. You see Jesus making a plan to go into Jerusalem to fulfill his mission by dying on the cross for you and as well as for me. You see the Apostle Paul making plans to plant churches all throughout the urban centers of the Roman Greco world. The only time planning becomes unspiritual is when we do it without the presence of the Lord. When we don't do it with a, a kind of understanding that God actually has a purpose in our planning. So we need to plan according to God's purposes, so we do. When you plan according to God's purposes, it's just as spiritual as praying in God's presence. It's just as spiritual. So, what do you do if you're listening here to me and to this message this morning? You're going, you know what, Jamie? I'm in a job that I absolutely hate. Every day I wake up and say, why am I doing this with my life? You know, my boss is mean. Do you know the environment is toxic? Linda, you're not allowed to say that about me, okay? <laughs> and I'm not making good money. Okay, well, that might be true. <laughs> What do you do? I mean, what do you do? Or you're listening and thinking, you know, I've got money problems, you know. Do you know, I've just run up two credit cards, and on top of that, I've got a student loan as well as a car loan. I mean, what do you do? Do you know, or you say, you know, you're thinking, you know, I need my relationships to be better, do you know, with my partner. There's something wrong maybe in my marriage. It doesn't feel strong, and we seem to be arguing all the time. Do you know, we don't have the connection that we used to actually have or the desires that we used to have. What do you do? Well, you need to pray, but you also need to plan. 
Nehemiah shows us that there are three simple questions that we can ask ourselves that form the basis of a plan. The first one is, where are you? Where are you? The second one is, where are you going? And the third one is, how are you actually going to get there? Now, the first question, where are you, has to do with assessing the reality. Do you know, it says, by night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem. So in other words, he examined the walls and assessed do you know what the damage was? Which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. He was trying to understand here, what is the current state of affairs? Now, the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 23, you know, tells us, you know, at all costs, make sure that you get the facts. That's a good thing in life to make sure you get the facts. You have to know what it is that you're actually dealing with. You see, for many of us, the loneliest part the planning process is assessing the facts, you know, and dealing with the reality of them. Understanding what's really happening can actually be a lonely job. And we see that here in Nehemiah because it says in verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others, doesn't mean to say they were with him, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. And then in verse 16 it says, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as of yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah, in other words, starts doing this alone. And it can feel lonely when you're examining the walls. Do you know, maybe even the walls of your own life. It reminds me of a poem by Adriana Rich, do you know, and it's called Diving Into the Wreck. I want to read a few kind of lines from it. It says this, First, having read the book of myths and loaded the camera and checked the edge of the knife blade that I put on, the body armor of black rubber and the absurd flippers, the grave and awkward mask, I'm having to do this, not like Cousteau with his assiduous, you know, team aboard the sun-flooded schooner, but here alone, I go down. I crawl like an insect down the ladder, and there is no one to tell me when the ocean will begin. So you've got to begin by assessing reality, and that reality can sometimes feel really lonely. Perhaps some of you, like me, were impacted by bullying at school. Do you know, I had an absent father, you know, at that time, no one to turn to. Or it could be that maybe you suffered from some form of abuse, you know, as well. What you experience when you begin diving into that wreck, you know, can be loneliness. So it can. The loneliness, you know, of fear, of depression, of shame, the loneliness sometimes of anger that those things provoke within you. You have to face these things when you go down into that wreck. And one of the resources that we have in the church is people trained in helping people to deal with trauma. Odd there, Odd, could you wave your hand? Odd's a trade counselor. Do you know, if any of you are struggling with trauma and things like that, let me introduce you to, to Odd. She's amazing. So, loneliness is the thing that we first encounter when we face these traumatic experiences. Do you know, and that's what Nehemiah says in verse, you know, 13 here. The walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed, you know, by fire. It can be exhausting. It can be discouraging to accept the reality and to access the, you know, or assess the damage. 
And if we're honest, many of us would rather avoid facing it, wouldn't we? Metaphorically speaking, do you know, have any of you ever experienced it when a friend, you know, uh, gives you a phone and says, oh, by the way, I'm in your area, I'm going to pop around in 20 minutes, and all of a sudden you realize your house isn't as tidy as you want it to actually be, do you know? And so what you start to do is you look for all those miscellaneous things and you don't want them to see and you, you, you put it in the junk drawer. Anyone else get a junk drawer? Yeah, some of us have got junk rooms, haven't we? You know, we just put the washing, you know, in the kind of junk room as well, you know, for that. Piles of laundry there. And we keep on saying to ourselves, you know, someday, someday I'm going to sort out that drawer. Someday I'm going to sort out, you know, that room. But making a plan, you know, to, to turn that heart in your life around actually begins with accepting the reality and accessing you know, assessing the damage and getting help to clean out that drawer, to put that room in order. Do you know, I said to you last week that the Lord has spoken to me that 2024 was a year to restore, to rebuild, to rebuild our lives, to rebuild our church, to rebuild, do you know, some of the things that we've lost, do you know, and to add to that, other prophetic voices are saying that this is also the year of open doors. But you know what? In order to walk through the doors that God has opened up to us, we need to close some doors behind us. We need to close them behind us. And if you've ever faced bullying or a form of abuse or discouragement, this is a time, you know, to shut that door and get help if you need to, to help rebuild and to restore. But in order to walk through the doors that God is opening up to us, we need to bring closure to the things that are actually holding us back here. Now, we might need deliverance. That's okay. We might need deliverance. We might need some good counseling. We might need to give or maybe even receive forgiveness. What we do need is courage to take that next step. So how do you get courage to close the door on that room? Well, we need to examine the facts, and there are two ways that we can actually do this. One of them is with God. The other way is without God. The way with God is illustrated in a wonderful book by Richard Foster on prayer called Finding the Heart's True Home. There's a chapter in it that is actually called The Ancient Prayer of Examine. And that chapter is inspired by Psalm you know, 139, verses 23 to 24, where it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense of way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So that whole chapter is based on that. See, it's one thing to go without God and examine our lives. That's called introspection. And you know what? Introspection is not a fun thing. It's not a fun thing. It can be very disillusioning at times. It can be depressing when you introspect. When you go inwards without the presence of God, what you hear is voices. And those voices sometimes bring shame. You may experience guilt and end up feeling overwhelmed by the, the size of the issue, thinking this is just too big. It's impossible. I can't actually do this. Whether it's about yourself, your family, your marriage, your job, etc., it doesn't matter. And you can end up thinking, I can't do this. It's impossible. There's no way to bring about change and restore this. Introspection without God is disempowering. But let me give you the good news now. But when you let God join you in this, and you pray the prayer of examination, you go with God. And when God takes you by the hand, and He walks you through the walls of your life, do you know what? He is so gracious, so gracious. Do you know, He's so much kinder than even we can possibly, you know, hope to be. Do you know, His words, they're never condemning, and He will always be full of hope. 
And so you'll be in the presence of hope. He never says, oh, myself, what are we going to do here? He is so confident in who he is and what he is making you to actually be. No, the Lord says, I have a plan and I have a plan for your life. I have a vision, a vision for you, your life and your church and your family. Our God is the spirit of restoration because that's the business that our God is actually in. See, God wants us to be healthy, guys, unfettered, because there's a bigger picture in play here. And I want to talk about that. You see, since we've been in the West End, I've watched seven church buildings close. Buildings that were once full of Christians gathering to worship and going out from there to bring life to their city. And now they're bars, flats, bathroom showrooms, restaurant, theater, and a cafe. Do you know, I know of at least four other church buildings that will close in the next two years. These are Christian footprints that we have lost. And this decline is not limited to the West End of Glasgow, folks. It's bigger than that. The walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Now, the analogy that I'm trying to convey here is our city had a wall. It had a wall. It was a wall of Christians, of prayer, of praise, where the Word was being lived out practically as well as supernaturally, and the kingdom was coming. And it created all that life and entrepreneurialism. And, you know, that protected and allowed the city to prosper and to thrive. Now, Linda and I and our, our staff, we've been assessing that. And what we've actually done, you know, as a couple, we've helped start a network of churches. There's a network of churches called Kingdom Legacy. We're part of the, the core team in that. And it's, it's a group of, of pastors, churches, independent ministry leaders, you know, from various different denominations where we're sharing what we're actually learning from each other, working together, helping to rebuild and restore, you know, spending, you know, resources, helping one another. And people are joining it from all over the UK as well as beyond. So, you know, I think we're, and you just somebody joined us through the week from New Zealand. We have people in South Africa. We get people in Belgium, people in the Faroe Islands, you know, and people up and down the length and breadth of the United Kingdom. Do you know, as leaders, we have chosen to assess and face together the problems before us because we know that God is with us, and because of that, He gives us hope. Nehemiah reminds us of this in verse 18. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And friends, we can lay hold of that ourselves because the hand of the Lord is upon you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that? Like you believe it, the hand of the Lord, with a big smile, is upon you. He is. And do you know what? Because of that, you can assess and deal with the reality. So here's the second question that I said to you. Second question is, is where do you want to go? Where do we want to go? Do you know, well, where we want to go is we've got to go with, you know, getting a God's vision for the future really. And in verse 12, we see this. It said, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I love John Stott. Anyone like John Stott? I love John Stott. He's got some great quotes, and I pinched this one from him. Deep dissatisfaction with what is, you know, and a clear grasp of what could be. That's how he defines vision. A deep dissatisfaction with what is, and a clear grasp of what can be. Nehemiah's vision was really simple. 
He had a vision of seeing God's people back in Jerusalem, for Jerusalem, you know, and the temple to be restored, and for God's people to live in safety. And he said, why not? I mean, why not? We can do this. Do you know, with God's help, this can actually happen. His attitude is, do you know, if God wants to do it, it can happen. And guys, that's vision. That's what vision is. When you have vision, life's change. When you have vision, life's change. I wonder what the vision is he's given to you. Do you know, Kate, Kate Mitchell, Kate, where are you? There's Kate. Kate Mitchell has a vision for making schools a safer place. That's why she has been getting into schools, working with the message, you know, who she works for, and we're doing a concert at the end of the month where they've been talking to kids, you know, in order to get knives off the streets and out of our playgrounds. Our students, where's our students? Who, the guys who are going to come up and share a little bit, where are you? Ah, oh, come on out, come on out and share. Just let me just share. We, we've got a heart for international students, so why don't you give us just a quick update, guys, on what's been happening on Thursday? Hello. So, international meetup. We've already had two. Um, and last Thursday, we saw a huge increase in people coming, which was amazing, and a bigger increase in diversity of the different types of students that came, um, which is such a blessing. So, thank you so much for your prayers and keep on praying. Yeah, looking forward to, like, this Thursday, we're having a Burns Night celebration, which we're really excited for, and we heard lots of international students really excited for that, and, um, and yeah, that's, if you want to join the team, then you can talk to Nam as well, and we're also looking for toasty machines, if you have one <laughs> that we can borrow, <laughs> but yeah, okay. it's a uh, lot where, of fun. Where are we, some of the students coming from, places like... We had a lot from China. We had some from Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan as Hong well. Kong. And last week was Thailand. 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 Wow. Yeah. So what if we find the next Jackie Pullinger and those students or the next Billy Graham and they go back, and maybe some of them will come from North Korea and they go back and revival breaks out there because these guys, you know, and the team, and Am and David are just, they've got a vision for it. Isn't that great? Can we applaud them for all the stuff that they're doing? Praise God, you know, for that. What about having a vision for youth going to uni instead of going to jail? Yeah. That's what we had a vision for when we worked in the South Side. That's a vision we invested in. What about a vision for strong marriages? Gary and Laura do great marriage courses, you know, and they see marriages lifted up. Tamsin, who's not with us today, you know, Tamsin's got a vision for going into the ladies' prison and bringing hope and prophesying and seeing healing and a form of freedom come there. Do you know, as a someone here and you're like, you know, I'm tired of seeing folks with sickness and struggling with illness, you know, I get a vision to start praying and asking for the kingdom to come upon people. As a someone here who's like, do you know, I've got a heart for my neighbors to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And yes, people in my neighborhood are secular, but you know what? I'm not going to shrink back in fear anymore. I'm going to reach out and love people and share my faith. I'm going to invite them into church and hopefully that the presence of the Lord will fall upon them and it will make a difference in their lives. You see, life change when we get a vision. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. We say, why not? This is a great question that we need to ask ourselves today, Lord. Why not give us a breakthrough? Why not overcome the problems that we face with God's help? Why not step out and take a risk that God is calling us to take that will make a difference? Why not? 
I mean, why not have a vibrant, you know, relationship with God that makes a difference? Why not? Why not buy, build, restore a building where we can birth new ministries that equip you and your children so that we can change the culture and bring life to the city? A launch pad, why not? Do you know, that's the vision, folks, that we need. We need a vision to go where no man has gone before. <laughs> so we do. And Nehemiah's particular vision was about restoration in Jerusalem. Now, for Nehemiah, Jerusalem was not just the center of Israel. It wasn't just the center of the world. It was quite literally the center of the universe, the cosmos for the Israeli people. And the reason for this is Jerusalem, and specifically the temple, is a place where the Lord's presence dwelt amongst His people. So when the temple was destroyed, it wasn't just a crisis of faith. It was a crisis of meaning as a nation, so it was. In other words, everything that I've known has just actually gone that's Nehemiah's reality. They were living in a spiritual crisis. And again, I believe today that the UK is living through a spiritual crisis. Church numbers are down. There have been a number of prominent leaders who have fallen. There's also been a number of leaders who have been falsely accused of things that they didn't do, and social media is trying to destroy them, do their reputations. I've seen folks that have examined the, the walls of their faith, and they're not interested even in rebuilding them. Do you know, in fact, they're more interested in deconstructing that wall. I know of many others who have been pulled down the walls of their faith, and they've been co-opted by liberal theological heresy. And I've talked to people, and they say, do you know what? It's hard to be a Christian to stand out for the crowd, and you know, I'm scared to say that I'm a Christian. Now, that's a reality that we have to deal with, a reality we have to assess, and also a reality we're going to address. But what do you do with that reality? Do we just ignore it? Do we just say, hey, we're okay? Do we just let's get super spiritual and batten down the hatches and just cry out for revival? No, not in our watch. No chance. That is not what we do. We do what Nehemiah did. We get down on our knees and we start with praying. And we, we say, Lord, give us a vision. Give us your vision for what you want us to do. God has done this before in our nation. People had a vision and it changed it changed the whole country. A guy called John Knox, do you know, was the leader of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. He was a founder of Scottish Presbyterianism, and he threw off an oppressive Roman Catholic control mechanism, so he did, and he brought truth once again. But what many don't realize is by the end of his ministry, he became more known for his prayers rather than anything else. In fact, the devout Catholic Mary Queen of Scots is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies in Europe. Do you know, why do you think Mary said this? She said it because she's seen the impact that this one man sold out for God actually had upon a nation. Perhaps of all the prayers of Knox, give me Scotland or I die is the most quoted one. Do you know, it wasn't an arrogant prayer but a passionate plea showing his intense, intense desire for the conversion of the people of Scotland. His prayer was an expression of his great confidence in God. One of Knox's morals was, one man with God equals the majority. Knox's greatness lay in his humbleness, his humble dependence in God to save a people, to revive a nation, and to reform a church. Do you know what? One of the great things about him, he feared God more than he feared man. And so he's bold enough to step out. The Lord isn't done with us, guys. And so we pray for vision and we say, do it again, Lord. 
Give us Scotland for your glory. Give us Scotland for your glory. And as we're coming into land, the third question is, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Well, we need to work a plan. Nehemiah begins to work a plan in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now, there's two aspects of rebuilding here that I want to highlight to you. First one is this. Nehemiah starts where he is. He starts with what's in front of him. He didn't start with a glorious, you know, project of enhancing the temple. He didn't start with, you know, God's dwelling place. He started with what was right in front of him, the most immediate need. In other words, let's do the first thing first before we try to do the next thing. I remember a story of a guy, and this might be helpful, do you know, who he was in debt and so he needed to sell his car. But he'd never sold a car before in his life and he was a bit overwhelmed by the prospect of it. He thought, how do you sell a car? How do you sell it, you know? How do I market a car? Where do I begin? Then he thought to himself, he'd look around the car and he went, oh man, inside's looking like a tip. So maybe the first thing I should do is vacuum it. So he starts to vacuum the car and it's all nice and tidy. He says, oh, it's looking really nice inside. And then he looked outside the car and went, oh my goodness, this thing's minging. You know, and so he thought, what's the next thing you do? I'll wash it and then I'll polish it. And then he thought, well, it's looking really nice. What's the next thing I do? I've got one of these smartphones. I can take some photographs of it. So he photographs of it. And then he thought, what's the next thing to do? Auto Trader, eBay, I heard you can buy them on there. And he posted it on that and he sold his car. When you look at the big picture, start with what's in front of you. Do the Mr. Miyagi, okay? Wax on, wax off, or vacuum my car. Vacuum a car. Start where you begin. Now, I don't know what the next thing is to fulfill the vision, you know, for God in your life, in your heart. Maybe it's to deal with the past that's holding you back. Maybe it's to strengthen your relationships that you're struggling with. Maybe it's to move from being an attender to being a member of church. We do that by coming along every Sunday that we can. We join a team. We find a place to serve. We give financially and we join a small group. It helps you to get to know people and develop new friendships, and it rebuilds the church and advances the kingdom of God. It rebuilds our wall. Guys, we really need your help in three areas. We want to develop a, a welcoming team, you know, at the door. Now, the setup team came to do that just now, but it'd be great to have a separate welcome team. You know, people make up their mind coming through the door probably within the first 90 seconds. And if someone's welcoming them, showing them where the kids go, cup of tea with a smiley face, it's very conducive of making people, ah, this is a safe place. This is a welcoming place. This is a loving place. We need people to help us set up and set down. You know, it's exhausting doing it every single week. Uh, we really need a, another driver with a tow bar that can help us take the trailer from the West End, you know, just down the road from here to here. Here's the second, uh, the second part of this. Do it together. The other thing that Nehemiah did was he did it with others. Verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah wasn't doing it alone. Wasn't doing it alone. Nehemiah knew that he couldn't do the work alone. Nehemiah knew that he needed a community to do the work together. He found his people and together they did the work. Church, I need you. I need you. Church, we need each other. God has given us a vision to begin to restore. And I know there's people here, do you know, 
with ministries that haven't surfaced or been fully unpacked yet. God needs you to start to step out in that. There are people here who have been hurt from the past or used and left feeling unappreciated. And that's left you cautious, sitting on the sidelines. And, you know, can I trust Jamie? Can I trust this church? You know, uh, that may be an issue. I get that. I get that. That's, I felt like that myself at times. But guys, it's time to get back in the field. It's time to get back into the game. Sometimes it's about reprioritizing or allowing yourself to be inconvenienced, letting go of things that are actually holding you back, closing doors behind you to walk through the ones that are actually in front of you. You need to let go of your Isaacs. Okay, let me say that. You need to let go of your Isaacs before you'll discover the lamb in the thicket or you'll miss your opportunity. Now, in three weeks' time, I want to talk to all of you about opportunities that God may be presenting before us as a church. An open door. But we'll see that in three weeks' time. So what I want to do, I want to finish. I want you to imagine. Anyone good at imagining things, visualizing something? I want you to close your eyes. And I want to give you a vision of what the future might look like. What the Lord's been revealing to us. And I want you to imagine this as I I read this out to you. Imagine a church that is radically generous, one that proactively identifies needs and then unleashes a flash mob of people willingly releasing their financial resources and developing ministries that alleviate poverty. Imagine a church that is equipping youth, teenagers, singles, couples, families, and senior citizens for life. Imagine a church that speaks to and reaches the next generation. Imagine a church that has its facilities utilized by the public 365 days a year. Imagine a church where youth leaders have offices in the local schools. Imagine a church where a congregation is made up of students, business people, shop workers, tradespeople, people of every profession, employed and unemployed, people from all walks of life and at varying stages of their Christian life. Imagine a church where we will all sit side by side with one common goal, knowing Jesus more intimately today than we did yesterday. Imagine a church that radically pursues God in worship, writing its own songs, developing the arts in all its forms, and recapturing the true heart of worship. Imagine a church where the lost, the broken, the dismayed, the lonely, the abused, and the addicted will find freedom, will find love and acceptance, and will have recovery programs that brings about healing to them. Imagine a church where you can discover your calling, grow as a disciple of Jesus, and make a difference that will last way beyond your lifetime. Imagine a church that plants churches home and abroad. Imagine a church of extensive ideas. Imagine being in a room with other pioneers who say if caution was absolutely thrown to the winds, what could we do together for the glory of God? Imagine a church university ministry being the most influential group on every single campus in the city of Glasgow. Imagine adult baptisms weekly. Imagine having hundreds of local government officials and school teachers attending services weekly, shaping policy and culture because their minds and their hearts have been touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a church where Sunday experiences are talked about from Monday through to Saturday. Can you imagine a church where there are long lines of people waiting just to get into the services? Imagine a church where sin has been confessed and families are being reconciled. Imagine a church where there are stories of human life being changed and the miraculous intervention of God that's so compelling that the media are actually talking about it because it's the best reality show that there actually is. 
Imagine a church that because it's there makes your community a safer place. Guys, I dream of that pulsating church because that's the type of church worthy of Jesus actually giving his life for. I believe this is the church that we are called to be. It's a church that we're becoming. And it all begins by asking ourselves three questions. Where are you? In other words, assess the reality. Where are you going? I.e., get God's vision for the future. How are we going to get there? We work a plan. And we start where we are. And guys, we do it together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand?